0: Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue studying God's Word. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is beginning a new series as we look ahead towards Christmas Day, December the 25th. Today's message is entitled Waiting, and it's taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. But before we get to our message, I just want to take this opportunity to invite you to join us as we celebrate Christmas this season. If you are listening to this as it airs, it's still time to join us for our Calvary family holiday meal that will be held on December the 11th, immediately following our morning worship service. And then at the end of December, December the 24th, we're going to have a Christmas Eve candlelight service. We'd love to see you there. That's at 430. If you have questions about either thing, contact us at info at calvaryfedville.com or give us a call at 479 442 4634. If you want more information about our church, and we'd love for you to find out more, you can find that at calvaryfedville.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Again, we want to listen to Pastor Kirk as he shares a message with us from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38.
1: Well, when I was a child, many years ago, it seemed like the month or so between Thanksgiving and Christmas was the longest month of the year. Now, the older I've gotten, the faster it moves. But when I was a kid, those four or five weeks just seemed to creep along. It felt like the long-awaited Christmas Day would never arrive waiting don't you just love to wait wait to get a seat at the restaurant wait to get served your food wait in the doctor's office wait to renew your license tags all these times of waiting in our lives and anticipating what was to come and waiting for Christmas to ever show up. The greatest day of the year to me as a child only rivaled by my birthday. You see, I was a pretty me-centered little guy. I don't know if you can identify with that. But I'll tell you what Christmas was about to me then. It was about presence, not his presence. It was about getting. It wasn't about giving. It was about my selfish desires, not eternal blessings. Have I said it? I hated waiting. And I'm not very patient even today. I think my dad might have Fed that a little bit in me. He was an engineer, a very meticulous man, a man that filled every minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, as Rudyard Kipling would put it. And he used to have a saying, when things got a little bit slow, he said, let's do something even if it's wrong. (laughs) Well, I know he didn't really mean that, but it just spoke to his impatience. Are you ever that way? The season of Advent is about slowing down and waiting. It's about anticipation of the arrival of our Messiah Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has already arrived some 2,000 years ago. That was his first Advent, his first coming. Today, we as Christians await his second advent, his second coming. Now today, as we said earlier, is the first Sunday of the advent season. It is a Christian season that begins four Sundays before uh, Christmas Eve, and it is a time supposedly of spiritual preparation, making ourselves ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus with prayer, anticipation, hope, and joy, and expectation of his next coming. We celebrate his first. We anticipate and prepare for his second. Now, our scripture text today is Luke chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there if you've not done so already. That would be, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, page number 857, Luke chapter 2, page 857. And this actually takes place a little more than a month after the birth of Jesus. That may seem strange to you to begin with some of the aftermath of Jesus' birth as we are moving towards his birth that we will celebrate on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. But this is taking place about 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And so it is an after-the-fact event, but it focuses today on two senior citizens, a man by the name of Simeon, a woman by the name of Anna, who teach us what it means to honor and glorify God in seasons of waiting. They also show us the power of hope, as well as the victory of faith. So let's read beginning in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what an interesting passage. What interesting characters, this Simeon and Anna. And oh, the stories they could tell being aged, being well up in years, nearer to the end of life than to the beginning of life, and having been faithful for so long in looking for and anticipating what the Old Testament Scriptures Had promised. For you see, they did not have the New Testament story. All they had were the Old Testament scriptures, and they were anticipating the coming of a Messiah. In fact, Simeon had been given insight from the Lord that he would see the Messiah before he left this life. Well, I've outlined this passage not so much expositionally as in three questions that comes to my mind as I read this story and three questions that I believe can teach us what we need to know as we begin this Advent season. And the first one is kind of an odd question. Basically, I've just said it this way. What are the odds? What are the odds What are the odds? Only God could have engineered and arranged an encounter like this. What are the odds of the baby Jesus, of Simeon and Anna, winding up in the same place at the same time? Was it a chance meeting, a coincidence? How did they recognize a barely one-month-old baby as the promised Messiah. Among the many other babies who would have been coming to the temple on that day for their dedication, which took place eight days after their birth, or for the purification that came 40 days after the birth, which is what was taking place in the case Of Joseph and Mary and Jesus here. Make no mistake about it. This was a providential meeting. God engineered it. There was no accident. There was no coincidence. There was no surprise here. This was a providential meeting. This was a meeting that had been planned in eternity past before God ever created a universe, before God ever breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. This day was already prepared to take place. It was providential. That means God was fulfilling his plan for the ages in this particular encounter. Now, we meet a man by the name of Simeon at the beginning of the text. We meet an old woman named Anna at the end of the text. And according to verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon, as we said, that he would see the Lord's Messiah. And this was the day that that promise was fulfilled. In verse 38 we read about Anna coming also and she too recognized this child. Maybe it was in the declaration of Simeon or perhaps it was divine illumination. We have two old Jewish saints representing as it were the best of the old covenant under Abraham and the best of what is giving way To the new covenant, the covenant of grace that is coming with Jesus. And they are there bridging that gap much in the same way that John the Baptist bridged that gap with his preaching. A prophet cut out of the cloth of the Old Testament, yet the one announcing the coming of the Messiah in the new. And understand, except for the angels... Uh, bidding uh, the shepherds to come to the birthplace of Jesus on birth night, with the exception of that handful of shepherds, these are the first two people to recognize Messiah Jesus in the world. Amen. Two senior citizens. Why these two? Of all the Jews, that might have been chosen to recognize the Messiah maybe a high priest maybe a great prophet of God someone to take him into their arms and announce his arrival why these two? and so that is our second question we're already on point number two of three points take note of that why these two people? why them? Simeon and Anna recognized and received Jesus when no one else did. I think you can mark it down in your minds, maybe in your Bibles if you want to, that these two people are both very God-centered people. And God is always willing and ready to reveal himself, listen to me now, for those Who are centered on Him and His Word, and for those who have time to listen and to watch. The thought that jumps off the page to me is the similarity in verse 25 and verse 38. Both of these people were looking and hoping for God to do something for Israel. Notice that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of God, the peace of God. And we find Anna in verse 38. She was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And evidently, she was acquainted with some others in her circle who also were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. It seems to me that God was doing something in the lives of these two. And that Luke wants us to see the repetition of both of these people looking for and expecting something from God. The consolation of Israel The redemption of Jerusalem and to recognize and that anticipation caused them to recognize and receive the Christ that their longing was looking for. They were looking for God to break into history again. To console and to redeem his people by sending the Christ. They saw and experienced what others Missed. And can I just step aside from that and say to you this Christmas season, this next month, these next four weeks, some are going to see God break through and reveal himself to them in a very real way his presence, his blessing, his consolation, his redemption. But most are not going to see him in any special way over the next month. In fact, most church people are not going to see him in any special way. You know why? Because we're going to get caught up in all of the busyness, in all of the business, in all of the stuff that Christmas has come to be in our lives a time of being harried, a time of investing money that maybe we should not be spending trying to please people that we love, but by January, we'll forget about most of what you've gotten them. And we'll get caught up in all of that stuff. And life won't get back to normal till after the first of the year. And that's a shame. That's a shame. To miss Christ at Christmas because we didn't have the spirit of Advent, of anticipation, and of expectation, of being people who are God-centered people, of celebrating this season in a different way than the world separates it. Now, notice what we, we see and we learn about Simeon and Anna, how we can tell they are God-centered people. What did the scripture say about Simeon? It said, first of all, that he was righteous. That means he was upright and he was just, okay? He was a righteous man. He was a devout man. That's not the same as righteousness, but it goes hand in hand with righteousness. This means that he was full of reverence towards God. He was a pious man in every meaning of the right interpretation of being pious. Are you devout? Are you a pious person? Someone who is full of reverence for God? 24-7? Is that what you're like? He was not only, hang on just a minute. Can we pause for just a second? Someone told me there's been a yellow jacket flying around for the last two Sundays. I just introduced him to the Word of God. Okay. Oh my goodness. That never has happened before here, anyway. He was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting, waiting, waiting. He had waited for years, for years, for decades. He had waited for the consolation of Israel, for the promises of the Old Testament that God was going to console and redeem his people. The Spirit was on him. The Spirit was on him. And because of that, God invested divine and spiritual truth to him. He received a promise from God and laid hold of it that he would see the Messiah before his life was over. Now, Anna, interestingly enough, was an aged widow of 84 years, but she was a prophetess. I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. You do with it whatever you want. We encounter prophetesses in the Bible, and several times that's a very good thing. Sometimes it's not so good. But she was a prophetess, She was so devoted in her waiting that she did not leave the temple. She stayed around the house of God. She worshipped day and night with fasting and prayer. And she was waiting. Like Simeon, she was patiently waiting. She was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We understand the consolation of Israel, the comfort and peace that only God can give, but redemption is something even different. It is deliverance from oppression. She was waiting to see Jerusalem delivered, redeemed, once again free to live and to be the people of God. Now, I want to say to you that only God can prepare a person to recognize and receive Christ. And only God can do that by stirring up inside you and me a longing, a longing that can only come from Christ. How great is your longing for the Lord? Can you just go through A day, a week, a month, a year, and every day look like the day before? Every day obsessed with all the things of living this life in this world and in this culture? Or has God created a longing in you for something that this world cannot satisfy? That is what it means to have a prepared heart. And that's what Simeon and Anna were experiencing. They were people with prepared hearts. They were longing for the consolation and redemption of God's people. And they were granted the privilege of being able to recognize a baby as being the Messiah and to receive Christ into their arms and into their worlds. They saw Jesus as the source and goal of all their longings. Too many times we seek to satisfy our longings in so many other things, in so much stuff, in so much in the way of possessions. Or maybe seeing our world different. And so we put our hope and confidence in politicians or political parties and think this will make our world better. Once again, we will be a Christian nation. Folks, understand, we have never, ever been a truly Christian nation. We have had Christian principles. We have valued them at more times than today. But we have never been a nation of Christians. We're a nation with Christians living in it. Is there another one flying around here? All right. If you jump up and slap something, we'll all know why. But we will never again, we will never attain some kind of Christian status as a nation of people. Only a nation with Christian people who live by a different standard. Who live with a different longing. Have you been graciously frustrated with your life? That's gracious. That's God creating a holy unrest in you for something beyond what this life has to offer. That our satisfaction is not what this world offers or where we'll find it. Jesus is indeed the consolation of Israel. And Simeon knew that. And he recognized this baby as that Jesus. No doubt, many times he had looked to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2, where the scripture says, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to hear that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. Or maybe Isaiah 49 and 13. Listen to this. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has consoled his people and he will have compassion on his afflicted. Are you in need of his compassion and his consolation today? Are you still bearing the marks of sin in your life, sin that has long since been forgiven? Are you bearing today the pains of loss, of sadness, of unfulfilled dreams? Understand, Jesus is your consolation and he is better than the fulfillment of all the dreams you've ever dreamed. He's not only the consolation of Israel, he's the redemption of Jerusalem. Listen to this, that Simeon and Anna no doubt knew Isaiah 52, 9. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has consoled his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Will you let the Lord be your consolation and your redemption today? That's what Simeon was looking for, and it's what Anna was looking for, and they found it in Christ. As we stand here between the Advents, very likely much closer to the second Advent of Christ than we are to his first advent some 2,000 years ago. I don't see how this world can carry on another 2,000 years. Can you? 20, maybe. Two, perhaps. Very likely less. And wouldn't it be grand if his second advent was just around the corner? So what does the New Testament say about anticipating the second advent of Christ? Listen to how the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews 9, 28. I think we have these to go go on the screen. So Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, a second advent, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. Jesus will appear for salvation and he will appear for those who are eagerly waiting for him. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to whom? Also to all who have loved his appearing have you loved the appearing of Jesus Christ do you lovingly long for that day peter speaks about it also but listen now peter turns it into an imperative that means he turns it into a command let's read this one aloud together from the book of first 1 peter 1:13 1 set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ at his second advent. That is a commandment, my friends, from the word of God. God commands you to set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, here we are between the two advents. What were the odds that these two people and Jesus would show up at the temple the same hour, the same day, and they recognize him? That's a providential work of God. He was planning it, and he fulfilled it. Why these two people? Because they were people who were God-centered people. They had prepared hearts. They saw and experienced what others missed. They saw Jesus as the source and goal of all their longings. Well, let's go to the third question. How can I prepare my heart to recognize and receive Christ? You say, I've already received Christ. I'm not talking just about salvation. Certainly, I am talking about salvation if you do not know Christ today. But understand, if you don't know Christ today, there's nothing you can do to fix your heart. It is sinful, it is sick, and it's dead. All you can do is plead for God to break through and give you faith and repentance so that you can believe and follow him. But speaking to Christians, how can I prepare my heart to recognize and receive Christ this Christmas season? This anticipation of not only celebrating his first coming, but anticipating and living for his second one. Waiting sounds so passive. It sounds something that is torturous, something that is painful, something that we want nothing to do with. But I'm going to suggest to you That it is possible to wait intentionally. It is possible to even wait aggressively. It is possible to wait with great enthusiasm and anticipation. And understand this. If you do it the right way, waiting time is not wasted time. God is at work in our days of waiting. Well, what does it mean to do the right thing? How do I wait aggressively? Let me give you four steps. Can I do that? Number one, our hearts must become disenchanted with the praise of other people. How can I anticipate Christ in the right way? I can quit looking for the approval of people in my life. I can quit looking to other people for my worth. I can quit seeking to try to please other people because the moment I live to please other people, I cut off the flow of God's work in my life. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Only God can tell you who you really are. Can tell you what your worth really is. Only God and his glory should be what you seek after. So you need to wean yourself away from what people think of you. Of living up to their standards and their values. During Christmas season, that is desperately needed. Number two, we must stop looking to money and things to satisfy our souls. Stop looking to money and possessions and things to satisfy your soul. Someone could give you your dream home tomorrow. Your dream job, your dream bank account, your dream whatever. And can I suggest to you, you would be just as miserable after getting it as you are right now dreaming about it. Thinking only if these circumstances could change, only if I could have that or whatever, I could find real peace and real happiness. In contrast to Simeon and Lydia, when the teachings of Christ came to the Pharisees, this is what the Bible said about them in Luke 16, 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Time and again in Scripture, we find money and possessions, the love of it and the pursuit of it, getting in the way of pursuing God. Listen, if you are not a generous person in your poverty, if that's where you are, you will not become a generous person in your riches if you ever have it. If you cannot acknowledge God when having just a little with your possessions, no matter how much you get, you will never find it in your heart to give to him then either. Having how much doesn't make you a more generous person. Wean yourself away from what people think. Wean yourself away from money and possessions. Number three, do this. There must come into your heart a longing for consolation and a redemption beyond what the world can give. Simeon and Anna knew what to look for. That was a God-given desire. And if you don't have it, get on your knees and beg God to give you a heart that longs for what he has and stay there until it comes for consolation, for redemption, something the world cannot give. And number four, we must ask God the Father To open our hearts to receive Christ and his gifts. Why do you not long for the consolation that God gives or the redemption and deliverance that God gives? Perhaps it's because your heart is hardened against it. Beg God to open your heart to receive Christ and his gifts this Advent season. Waiting. It's such a blessing from God to be able to wait on the arrival of the Messiah, either at the second advent or Christ coming to you personally in salvation or Christ coming to you with peace, with consolation from all of your heartaches. Listen to these words in closing from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God doesn't comfort you to make you comfortable. He comforts you to make you a comforter to other people. And when you're faithful for that, he'll comfort you like never before. Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. The psalmist says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this Advent season in which we have an opportunity to focus more intently on you, on your gifts, on your comfort and your salvation than at any other time. Father, help us not to lose you in all the busyness of this season. Help us to recognize you and to receive you, even as Simeon and Anna did. Bless us as a church family, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Our hearts is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary As we study and serve together, we meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.